0: Hello, this is Contractor Coffee Club Podcast presented by EGIA, and I'm your host, Mark Madison. This podcast is hosted on EGIA.org podcast, where you can also find links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, along with an archive of all previous episodes, a submission form for our listener Q&A, and the link to take the latest EGIA snapshot survey. In today's episode, we are privileged to have one Mr. Trevor Flanagan. Trevor, how are you? I'm doing good. It's good to be here. I feel feel like this is the
1: podcast for me. I love coffee, so we're we're good to go.
0: Oh, I'm just guzzling it this morning. So uh, if you hear slurping sound, that's me. So <laughs> t- tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, go go all the way back. How did you get started in this industry?
1: So me starting in this industry is kind of hilarious. I came from the grocery industry, and I was tired of doing you know nights and weekends because that's typical retail. And so I quit to go back to school because I figured that was a good way to change career paths. And I ended up going back to school, but it wasn't taking up all my time and I was used to working a lot. And So I saw a Craigslist ad for a service manager and I applied to it because I was like, oh, that's, you know, service managers make good money. And this is a small business. I like small business. And so figured I would uh, apply to it. When I came in for the interview though, I interviewed a company called Bob Hamilton here in Kansas City and Bob said, um, that position had already been filled and we all know how that goes. It's, um, you know, we change our mind quickly in, uh, the small business world. And he was like, but I really like your attitude and I would love, um, to bring you aboard and we'll find a position for you. So they, they actually hired me, uh, plumbing and HVAC company. Um, at the time it was like, I don't know, 50 trucks. Uh, no, 50 employees. I think I was like 50, number 51. So maybe 30 trucks at that time, maybe less. And um, they told me my job was to uh, manage um, the call center, is what they called it, and mm-hmm. it was really just two or three people answering the phones, but we called it a call center. Um, <laughs> and they said your your two jobs are to one, get these people to outbound, get uh, these uh, call center representatives to outbound on our service agreement. And then, whenever um you can't fill the board, and it's pretty normal for us to not fill the board, especially you know I started in March, and so March April are pretty slow in Kansas City, and they said, if you can't fill the board, and we just want you to keep the guys that are on standby busy building a training center or doing whatever and I did not understand because I was coming from like big corporate retail where like if you're asked to do something, you do it or you're fired, and if they said I need to fill the board. Then that's what my job was, and so I didn't understand like already giving me two jobs based on me failing, and so I figured I'd just <laughs> do this one job really well, right. and uh, and uh, then I would be good at my job. And so it is a hard thing. Um, outbounding um, service agreements is very difficult, especially as you're growing a company up from you know a million to two million, to three million, four million, and on. Um, you build a culture in a call center that is more about answering phones than it is about uh, calling out. And it's just more about reaction than
0: proaction. Yeah,
1: exactly. And we're totally fine with it because, you know, we, it's, you know, Dolores and Jenny and they're just fantastic people. And like, they they don't like doing the other job, so we're not going to make them. And nobody else does it. So um, I get that line of thinking, but I'm somewhat logical and I'm like, but we have all of these people. We We need to do something with them. Especially like we had, you know, a thousand HVAC service agreements at the time, maybe 1500. And what I saw transpire in the first, first season. So we, I came in in March and then kind of learning the business in April, it was kind of already taking hold. And then May in Kansas City, we get our first hot day and.
0: Right. Well, up the hook. Yeah.
1: Yes. And it's crazy. But the problem with the whole situation is that on that first busy day, the people that call you and you actually have to take care of are the people that you just installed their equipment and you didn't go out to give us the, you know, the rubber stamp that says, yeah, this thing is good to go. And so we spent so much of our time on that first hot day, you know, finally going out to these houses that we knew had a failure rate of less than, you know, half a percent. Um, right. But, but we, we were still going out there. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like well, if we just went to these sooner. Um, then we would be able to take all demand calls on this day instead of,
0: you know, going through the motions on all of these people. Um, and so, so that was my mission. Embarrassing and frustrating at the same time. It was. So we, uh, we got that right. And uh, towards, you know, the middle of summer,
1: uh, we turned it into a machine. We changed the vernacular of how we booked them. Um, we hired, um, and rehired and rehired again and got the right people, um, in our call center. And we were booking, you know, 120 uh, system
0: checks a week. Wow, that's a huge uh, change from being a can stacker in a grocery store to to living in this reactionary world of HVAC service.
1: Yeah, I thought it was going to be a pretty big departure, too. But so the grocery store, I don't know if you have them over there in Portland, but it's Aldi. It's a German grocery store. Have you heard of it? No. Okay, so Aldi, um, the Albrecht as a family over in Germany, they were top 10 richest people in the world until the two brothers died. And now their families, obviously have somewhere up there on the list, but it's a, you know, worldwide empire out of the German, you know, way of doing things. And it's huge. I, I think they're slowly making it. I mean, after you get past Kansas, there's not a whole lot. So, um, you know, I don't know when they'll get to Portland, but I think they'll probably come up from California to hit you. But it's like, you know, It's very systematic. It's like our stores that I had, like I'd have five stores at a time and they would have, you know, up to 20 people as employees there, but only maybe like, you know, three to five to seven working at any given time. And so it's super lean. And it was almost like I was running five small businesses. And one of the things that I did um, pretty well is turn over unprofitable districts because it's a big, big company. And they give me this manual that says, here's how to run stores.
2: It's procedures, (laughs) man.
0: So the music's playing and you're writing the lyrics. You're, you're just- exactly. So they give you a procedure manual and say, This is what an effective store looks like. And I went
1: I was really good at, you know, going into a store and knowing what an effective store looked like. I'm like, Oh well this is broken and it's on page forty two. So let's just fix page forty two. And that worked um really well with the grocery store and I ended up working in, gosh, I don't know, eight different cities and turning over probably forty different stores. Mostly so in a, turning over a very
0: it prepared you for this new job in a lot of ways.
1: Hundred percent. Because whenever I went to Bob Hamilton, I found that it was the same problem. Just the procedures manual hadn't been written yet, and so all I had to right. do was write page 42 and right. then communicate it. That was huge. Like you know, it's it's very much a procedure, and you just have to communicate it, re-communicate it. And what happened was we went from you know. $7 million in revenue to $21 million in four years. And so I quickly went from being that call center manager, that um, office manager person. And in six months, I was uh, running the show as Bob's uh, right-hand man because I went to him. I was like, hey, if I can hit these numbers, can I get a promotion? And he was like, of course. Like, I found that's the best way to ask for a promotion is make it a
0: win-win, right? So well, Getting bigger than uh, your job and producing results. Yeah, people so
1: often, they're like, hey, now I want money. And it's like, why am I going to give you more money? And I would rather get the yes six months ahead of time. So then you go in six months later and you're like, hey, remember we had that conversation? I said if I did this, then you'd give me a promotion and more money and I did this and here's the numbers. And Mm -hmm. then they say, oh, yeah, we did say that. Here you go. It's a way easier conversation.
0: Well, it's like saying to a wood stove, give me heat and then I'll add the wood. And the wood stove just laughs at you. I like that. Yeah. 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 Add the wood and then I'll give you the heat. Right.
1: So we, we grew up to the $21 million and then last February, or somewhere in there, last year, uh, we sold to ARS. So we were at the prime that we were probably ever going to be. I mean, we're continuing to grow there, but our EBITDA was at like 22%, which is, you know, as a service company, that's about as good as it's going to get. It might get marginally yeah. better, but yeah, it's, it's tough. And so it was the right time for Bob to sell, and it was a good time for me
0: to go and try and do something new. And it was well, at tough. This, at I mean, this I came point, with, you, you know how to write a hit song, right? I mean, yeah. you're ready, right? You know how to turn it well, around. Yeah,
1: I I like to think so. But, you know, I had, you know, big corporate experience. And, like, you know, I was had the benefit of the people working there with me. And, you know, I couldn't attribute all the success to myself. I did Bob Hamilton. But, again, I was around really smart people. And, you know, I can't take credit for uh, for all of that. Like we had a really good team while I was there. So I didn't know that I could do it myself. So you say, you know, I had all the tools. Maybe I did, but I didn't believe I completely did. But it was kind of like baby bird being pushed out of the nest. Like I could see like the two roads and I was like, I could stay here and be real safe. But, you know, I'm young. You know, my wife is, you know, in law school, but she's young. We don't have kids. And it was probably as good of a time as any, because if I waited another 10 years or waited for five years until I felt even more comfortable, I might never do it. Right. Well, you wouldn't have
0: left. You'd have stayed.
1: Yeah. And people just get in habits. And so I, uh, I did leave. I, um, my buddy started, um, you know, a chat company on website and he started it in 2016. And I told him, like, I love meeting with guys around town. We go to the same church. We, Uh, we went to the same MBA program and he's just really nice. And he, we had coffee. He told me about his website chat company that he was going to start. And I just told him it was crazy. I told him (laughs) it nicely.
0: A real friend. Um, Yeah. Lots of encouragement. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I told him, I told him nicely, but I told him, I was like, I just don't see it. Like, it just seems (laughs) crazy to me that you think you're going to make money off of this. And like, I thought of myself as a pretty good businessman. So I thought I had good, good knowledge base to tell him that, but I was, Mistaken, I guess, Um, because we met in February of 2016. And then, you know, as the year was continuing on, obviously, um, the sale was talk of sale was happening um at the later part of that year. And I was like, you know what, he seems to be having a lot of success with this. And he was doing it only in orthodontics, because he managed his mom's orthodontist practice. And so he was really aggressively just going after just that very, very niche group of people. And he was doing pretty well. He was being pretty successful with it. And so I tried to do it at Bob Hamilton at the end of 2016. I was like, this guy can do this and I can probably do it too with, you know, eight CSRs. Now I can, you know, have them answer these chats and I failed doing it so many different ways because I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't, I, I was, I was maybe arrogant, I guess is the best word for it. And so I failed miserably and, you know, I called him up and I was like, Hey, Bob's heading for a sale, and I think this might be something we can do together. So, you know, we came to an agreement. He invited me in to be his partner, and we started Home Service Chats off of this existing kind of platform. And then we had a couple of people working for the company back then, And whenever I started, February of 2017. And now we have 110 people working here, and we we're in two different buildings. So that was, uh, what, a year and a half ago.
0: So how and why is – home service chats valuable to contractors (laughs) great question so 2016 would have
1: said probably isn't valuable um so don't listen to him for sure because it's crazy how it's kind of manifested so we found based on the numbers um only about five percent of people take action off of a contractor's website and most people um go to websites before they make decisions on contractors that means that 95% of people are leaving our contractors websites without doing anything. That is just mind blowing to me. 95% of people. That means 95 out of 100 people walk into our digital office, looked around and walked right back out. Right. And that's, that's too many. Too many. I was like at Bob Hamilton, I was spending two and a half million dollars on marketing at that time. And I'm like, I can't spend two and a half million dollars on marketing and have you know only five percent of people, like we obviously need to maximize that as much
0: as possible well so what, at, five, at five percent Trevor, you can only go up, yeah,
1: right, and so what we found is the answer to that problem, and Scott found it out way sooner than I did, and i I wasn't even listening, is that you need to put somebody at the front desk of your digital office, so if you think of your website um as a you know, the digital version of your brick and mortar office, and you have people that are able to walk in all day long. For years, it's been fine to just leave nobody there. And I'm kind of visual. And so I always think of it as like a, please call us with a phone number sitting on the desk. And people can be anonymous, they can walk in and out all day long, and they can uh, peruse from site to site until they either get the decision
0: they want, or feel comfortable making the decision that they want. Um, Well, well, they don't have to answer the question, can I help you? Exactly.
1: So we found putting somebody there, popping up and saying, hey, how can I make you smile today? And somebody saying, well, I have a clicking noise in my furnace, and I didn't know if you guys did clicking noises. Like this is a normal – that's a normal thing. Like we do them thousands of these a day, and that's what our customers are asking because they're unknowing. They don't know whether we do clicking noises. It's the first time they've had to call a repair guy in seven years. Right. So um, we say, oh, absolutely, we do clicking noises. I'm so sorry you're having to have this. So empathy is huge. Right. And then we build up on that, and they're like, oh, okay, good. Like the anxiety balloon over this customer's head is decreasing because they've got somebody on their side. They feel like they've made the right choice. Then they might drop uh, how much is it going to be to fix because the anxiety balloon still there. It's still pretty big. And what we do is we um, lead with questions in an effort to get first name, last name, phone number, email, physical address. So if somebody says, how much is it for somebody to come out? We'd say, that's a really great question. My name is Trevor. What's your name? Because it's somewhat transactional still. It's the same thing as if our CSRs are on the phone. Right. It's somewhat transactional in the point that they want something. We have the answer, or we should have the answer. but. Is the questions they're asking really what they want. And so we have to be the driver of that conversation. And so they say that they want the price, but what they really want is a solution. Right. And if we come at it with that level of empathy, then we're able to, um, kind of provide a better level of service for the customer and a better level of service for the contractor we're representing because they're not paying for us to tell people $79 and have them found. They're paying for us to get that price shopper, build value for the specific company, and get as much of a convertible lead as humanly possible. And when I say convertible lead, I mean somebody that's giving us first name, last name, phone number, email, physical address, because the more information we have from somebody, the less likely they are to continue to shop. We build build them up with, you know, using empathy, like, I'm so sorry, because we like people feeling bad for us, right, Mark?
0: Well, and you're, what I'm hearing loud and clear too is this is a dialogue to demonstrate yeah. that you care, right? Mm-hmm. And you're having a conversation and it's, it's about trust and relationship, right? And, and it is having them say, I like this guy. He seems to really care about me, but you're also doing something else. I think is really powerful. And that's what I affectionately call an assumptive close. You know, so yeah. what's your, what's your address? Let's start there. Okay, how long have you lived in the house, right? So you're having a conversation. And now they can't say, so, well, are you going to give me a problem? Well, no, no, let, let's go through this other stuff first. We want to make sure that this is a good fit. And that's Exactly. So smart. I, it's so smart. Oh, I always
1: – that's how I did with my CSRs because I, the first thing I said on the first day of training CSRs at my HVAC company was sales gets a dirty rep, but sales is really just education. And it doesn't, you know, you're not, every single person in the organization is a salesperson if you really want to get down to it because we're there to educate our customer. It's not just the plumber. It's not just the HVAC tech or the comfort advisor. Every person is in sales, including the CSR. And so using tools that can best educate the customer on what to expect, how to expect it, and kind of, you know, bring value to the table throughout that is kind of our job, Right
0: well and this reception person this in this digital office is really the vice president of first impressions i like that yeah no i mean really maybe the most important person in the company why because if they can't create a conversation and demonstrate empathy and caring then the conversation's over i'm 100% with even whenever i was running the company i could never
1: hire another call center manager so i was general manager i managed all the other managers hr and so on and so forth but i but I continued to manage all of the call center people uh, directly. Um, and I think a lot of that was just because I just, one, I was kind of bonded to them because we kind of did the undoable with uh, creating the outbound process that we did. But also like they're touching my employees or like other technicians out in the field. They're the ones talking to my customers. They're the ones talking right. to vendors. And so they are the heart. And I think a lot of shops, they just, you know, they, they, they don't really give as much attention to that group of people as they probably should.
0: Oh, they're the least paid and the least appreciated. And yet maybe the most important person in the company, because without their ability to convert that person from looking around to having a conversation, to booking an appointment, then you don't have business.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, if you look at the numbers of, what a five percent boost in conversion on inbound leads does. What it, one, what it costs you in marketing dollars to get those calls, and then two, what the increase can be in revenue if you just convert five percent more. It's huge. Yeah.
0: And if you go and to 10 know or 15 that, or 20%, it becomes a gigantic number.
1: For sure. That's why uh Brigham Dickinson, he does a lot of work in that that realm and that's the same line of thinking that he uses is, you know, let me let me kind of train them up and make you guys – I'll pay for
0: myself ten times over just by making your people convert a little bit higher. Yeah, and he talks about wow. You know? yes. and, and wow is just what we're doing now, just having a conversation. I mean, it's all wow is. Uh, you know, sales is about trust, relationship, competency, and timing. And if all four of those pieces are in place, it's like a four-legged chair, then the sale is going to happen. But if one of them is yeah. missing, if they don't like you, if they don't trust you, if they don't think you're competent, it's not going to happen. So you're removing all those barriers in, in creating this dialogue and demonstrating the empathy and the caring. That's really cool. So It is. I mean, because the
1: competition is, you know, Pakistan or India chat. And so we're the only ones that I'm aware of that are doing it from the U.S. And, you know, Kansas City, the cost of living is low and we go direct to the contractor instead of having web developers resell our service. So two people don't have to make margins and, you know, we're, um, you know, Some people said that we're less expensive than their previous chat option with twice the return on investment, which is just like, that's awesome. I don't compare myself to the other guys because I think that's a dirty game to get into. Um, We just focus on how we can continue to be better Um, because at the end of the day, like, if you just focus on you and you focus on your customer, you're always going to be continuing to add more value and people are going to see that.
0: In every conversation I have, I, I I play a simple game. I wonder if I can get this person to talk for 10 or 15 minutes without them knowing they've been doing all the talking. that. Oh, you, you said it earlier, we ask questions and we listen. That's it. Yeah. That's the secret formula.
1: My wife recently, she interviewed for a bunch of law jobs, and the advice that she got is lawyers like to talk about themselves, so just ask them questions and you'll be great. And I don't think it's lawyers. I think it's everybody. Everybody, it's everybody. likes to talk
0: about themselves. My German teacher in high school said everybody has a story. Your job is to find out what that story is. And I believe that. So if a contractor hires you guys, the first thing that happens is you, you transform their digital workspace, if you will, and you mm-hmm. put somebody in place to not only up that con, that conversion rate from 5% to 10 or 15 or 20. But you also you're you're making a friend. I mean, you're you're, you're right. The vice president of first impressions making friends. Yes. So what do, you, what do you love most about the work that you're doing? What's the What's the juice for you?
1: Honestly, it's the people that we have here. So, I um, you know, I, I was given opportunity whenever I was you know young. I was you know 22 years old managing 500 people at this grocery store, and so I was given a lot of responsibility very early on, and uh, we take that pretty seriously because Scott and I like, you know, live chat's fine. Um, it's, but it's not really why we do this. We do it for the people that are doing the live chat. These people are real and they care so deeply. And the more we found that we pour into our employees here, the more they care, the better quality it is. And I'd say 80 to 90% of our top line managers our former chat specialists, because we want to promote and give more opportunities to those that, you know, are willing to step up and raise their hand. And so what really just gets me excited is that we've changed a lot of lives. Like, it's impressive. We, uh, these people, they care a lot. And so it was really painted for us. Eddie McFarland came out. He's the, the training bigwig for Haller, a big 80 million dollar outfit up in Pennsylvania, he came to our our shop and he's one of our customers and he actually put numbers to it and he's like like this is what you've done for our organization and every call you give us is food on the plate of one of our technicians and he made it so real for mm. our people that right. now they talk about that all the time. They're just like seriously like you know it's a 12 hour shift and I'm super you know, drawn out. But then the coach will be like, remember, you're putting food on the table for someone like what you're doing matters. And like how much better quality do you think they give whenever somebody reminds them of that versus just another number, another chat, just another fleeting conversation.
0: It's the why. Yeah. Yeah. You're putting the technicians kids through college and and a roof over their head and food on the table. Yeah,
1: it's it's so much bigger than us, and to paint that picture is huge. Like, sure, you know, you could say we're just live chat, but we're live chat that is transforming lives here elsewhere, because the more we can do better, and the better conversations
0: we can have, and the more we care, and the more we use the systems that we have in place, you know, the bigger this gets. It's exciting, man. You're, uh, you're pumped. I can hear it in your voice. The passion comes through. If we could just get you yeah, to be maybe excited, too much. you know, yeah. I, get you I'll to come of your more shell monotone. a little bit. <laughs> no, don't change a thing, man. Don't change a thing. Well, what advice would you offer contractors as it relates to what you guys do?
1: Best advice I would give. And one thing that I did at, at Bob Hamilton that made us grow pretty fast and be pretty successful is get out of your own way. I I say that in an effort to stop people from – overthinking it. I I think that there's a misconception for owners and general managers and anybody that's running one of these HVAC and plumbing companies, and it's given to you by yourself, and that's that you need to have all the answers. And I think that that is extraordinarily detrimental. I ask questions and I ask people to define words all the time because I know I'm not that bright and I just need somebody to teach me. And you were born a great plumber or a great HVAC technician, and you've been taught, obviously, to continue the trades and be good at it. But it's not inherent to be good at business. And I think that once they acknowledge that you're not inherently great at running a business and you can make mistakes and you can learn from those mistakes, the more willing and easier it is to go out and try something like pop up chat on your website. And then, you know, try to do coaching sessions with your technicians and then try and do a new ride along uh, form and then try and do, uh, coaching with your CSRs, I think if, if each one of those things even provides uh, 0.1 times return on investment, keep doing it because you're heading in the right direction. It's trending if up. You get in yeah. your own way. Yeah. If, if you get in your own way, you're going to continue to be the same size. And I know it's scary, but what we do is we we don't have any contracts. We have a 99% retention rate on home service chats with no contracts, and it's crazy to me that more people don't immediately just give us their credit card because you've made worse hires that cost way more money. And so 99% retention rate means that it's working for other people or else everybody would fire us. And two, it's not that expensive. <laughs> 950 bucks to sign up, which includes the first half month, it should pay for itself in that first half month or you should fire us. Like It's as easy as that. If an employee walked into my office and said, hey, I'm going to get you 40% more leads from your website or you can fire me, I'd be like, cool, step on up.
0: And right. I'd hold them accountable, but you're also you're also delegating you know you're having these guys delegate something that a they're not very good at or they know nothing about, and so it's just one more yeah. piece right that I can let somebody else do
1: for sure, and kind of counter that at the same time. I think one mistake that a lot of us have made with vendors is we expect one vendors to be perfect, and two, we don't hold them accountable, and I use this one service. And it's the best example I have of holding vendors accountable because you should really think of vendors as an extension of the office, somebody else that you have to hold accountable. Because I had this one service that answered to answered or listened to my calls from my CSRs, and they would um, mark them whether they're booked or not. Pretty simple. And I saw so much trash talking on them um, on different forums and stuff. And I like went to my salesperson. And I was like, Hey, what's going on with this? Like I I listened to them. I you know, spot check to make sure you guys are doing well. And he was like, that's the thing. He said, everybody, like, it's fine to sign up, but what you do differently is you let us know when we've done something wrong and then it allows us to correct the behavior. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing that with your vendors, right? you're just going to, you're not, you're setting an employee up without giving them, you know, direction on what's good, what's bad. Right. And I think that's super important is, Vendors are an extraordinarily great way to offset your overhead, and I did it extremely well when I was at Bob Hamilton, hence the, you know, fantastic EBITDA, but you need to hold them accountable just like you do an employee. So even though you hire somebody and it costs less than hiring an employee to do it, if you don't manage them like you would an employee, you're just, you're not going to have the same results.
0: Right. Well, this is this is really exciting, and before our time gets away, because I want to come, I want to double back to you, uh, Trevor. Uh, Lucas, you have an announcement, do you not? A promotion?
2: I do. I just wanted to mention, um, you know, as long as we're talking vendors and marketplace, that the uh, EGIA Contractor Marketplace aggregates the best in-class products and services that are needed to efficiently, effectively, and profitably manage a contracting business. Uh, all those services, all those providers of those services, products are available to EGIA members in an exclusive discount that is not available anywhere else. There is a wide variety of categories, talking tools and equipment, business operations, and administration, sales and marketing vehicles. Uh, and we just we leverage group buying power to get discounts that you simply aren't going to be able to get on your own. So and those are available to all EGIA members. Go to EGIA.org slash marketplace to take a look at what's available out there. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Trevor, that home service chats is on there. Do you know off the top of your head what, we, that, uh, what that discount is?
1: We are there. It's a rebate of uh, 3%. And if I could add, it's not easy to get in that. And I don't think that you guys let the members know that enough. Like it was kind of a, a pretty intense betting process for us to even get into the running to be on that list. And I was, you know, shocked, but you guys genuinely do put in the effort to make sure that it's the real deal and. That's good for the membership. We do. And we really only want to have
2: one one company in each vertical. Yeah, we don't want to we don't want to flood the the marketplace with you know eighteen different competitors. You guys, for example, we want to be able to vet out, kind of figure out who the best provider is of this service, and then say these are the guys that we you know our vetting process has decided. So yeah, basically, if it's on there, we've we've done the legwork. We've figured out these are this is the best of the best.
0: Which so I we don't think want is
2: credible. We don't want somebody who sucks we don't that's the that's our that's our internal motto yeah mark that's the internal motto here yeah
0: don't suck yeah well I appreciate that lucas thank you well let me ask you this trevor in closing what are your parting comments if if, you, if there's you know ps here's what else i'd like you to know
1: my parting comments is you've got to look at every part of the pipeline uh journey the Your customers are coming through, and you're going to touch them at multiple um, interactions. And you know, it's typically whenever they go to the website, they call your company. um, Whenever your technician gets to the house, throughout that process, and then typically there's there should be a happy call at the end. Look at each one of those and make sure that they are one consistent, so the same for every single customer. And you're just like wowing the socks off of them. And there's a procedure around how you do it, and then make sure that it's beyond expectation because you're not competing against the other service company in your town. You're competing against Chick-fil-A and Starbucks and every other customer interaction that that person has, and you really need to wow them.
0: I agree. I agree with what you just said because we think we're competing against other contractors, and we're not. The gold standard at um, Waldorf Astoria or the Ritz-Carlton, right, or Kinko's, mm-hmm. right? We've come to expect certain things, um, to be treated a certain way. I, I want somebody to care about me. I want them to go the extra mile. And we bring that expectation with us everywhere we go. And here, my guess is you're the worst consumer, okay, because you deliver great service and you expect it. My wife criticizes so me all the time. She goes, wow, your expectations are so high. Once you lighten up, they're not going to do what you think. I go, well, I do. <laughs> Right? But, <laughs> I, does your wife say the same thing to you? It's like, honey, r- relax. Like, lower your standards. I'm on a mission to make every company
1: better. If I have a bad experience, I'm the first one to go to the contact us form on their website and say, here's what my experience, is, what experience was, and this is what you should do differently. My right. wife thinks I'm an 80-year-old
0: man, but I just no, feel I, like it's my purpose. I can't help it. I'm old. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm the same way. That's like, ah. Uh you know you're you're spoiled and so am I but you have a right to be in my opinion and here's why you deliver great service Thank you and So what? and so do you expect that from everybody else too the problem is not everybody else does that So Yeah uh, good for you man thank you so much for carving out this much time to talk to us uh this is exciting what Well you thank you and really I'm cool. awesome.
1: Yeah and we'll see you at uh, the good. conference here is
0: it end of September Yeah in Vegas Yeah that'll be great you're going to be there? Come by and get a book for me. Sure will. I'll get awesome. another one. Right? Well, listen, <laughs> thanks so much for playing on our sandbox, Trevor. You know, I know you're a busy guy, and we appreciate you making the time to do this. Thank you. Thank you. You were a great guest. Lucas, anything else before we go? I think we are all good. Well, that'll do it for today's episode. As always, visit egi.org slash podcast to find this episode, an archive of previous episodes the online form to submit your questions for our mailbag segment, links to subscribe to podcast on Apple and Google Play app, and a link to the latest EGIA snapshot survey. For more information about EGIA membership, which is growing at an extraordinary rate, visit www.egi.org join. I'm Mark Madison. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. I'll see you next time.